And I have given you the extra page. Don't throw it away. And don't be choked. And looking at it and thinking, oh my Lord, that is so much stuff. Uh, don't faint. Not yet, at least. Okay. I will get there. But let me read those two verses for us. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want you two at this moment just to take a mental note. What are you feeling as you hear the words of Christ, receive the Holy Spirit. What comes to your mind right now as you hear the word, receive the Holy Spirit? Burdensome or joy, whatever that comes to your mind, just take a mental note right now. For me, I will feel something like this. Receive the Holy Spirit in relation to the church life. Something like that. But hold that thought now. This will be my final sermon on this text that we have been dwelling together for past few weeks. We talked about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. His disciples, His witnesses... His peace-giving, His commission last week, His breathing. And today, we come to that final section, Receive the Holy Spirit. While I was preaching all those topics, I was aiming at this phrase, Receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, in my estimation, this would be the hardest sermon in this text, I was thinking. So I was thinking about this for a while, reading some books and thinking about it. Before we jump into this text, I detect at least three errors one could commit. As you hear the words of Christ, receive the Holy Spirit. First error that one could commit is that one could be so afraid of Pentecostalism that any talk of the Holy Spirit, let alone receive the Holy Spirit, could be looked upon with great suspicion. Any mention of the Holy Spirit, people do not want to hear. That's first error. The second error that I could detect is to tie this text immediately to Acts 2 and the gifts. But John 20 should not be read in bondage to Acts 2. The third error that I could think of as you listen to this simple command from Christ is to draw up an entire doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That's not the way to go about 
this text. Last Monday, I was thinking about my strategy. How am I going to attack this verse? And I came to this conclusion by the grace of God. I was questioning if I was on that spot on that very first night of Christ's resurrection and Jesus is speaking these words, what would come to my mind? What are they hearing when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit? What, what are they really hearing from him? They're confused, terrified, scared, joyful, all at the same time. And, and it will take some time for them to process this. But it occurred to me, I should delimit my investigation within the book of John. Because John is a self-contained book, and the author is making consistent points within his own, within his own writing about many topics. And when Jesus said today, in, on the night of his resurrection, to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit... The disciples have heard the Holy Spirit before from Jesus' lips in his earthly ministry. So in relation to those teachings of the Holy Spirit from Christ, they will come to understand what this means. Not about the gifts. Not turning to the synoptic gospel. Not turning to Apostle Paul's letters about the doctrine of Holy Spirit. But within the book of John, I am sure there is much to learn. And that's what they are hearing. All the teachings from Christ about the Spirit in the book of John. And that's why I have given you all these texts. I want to see it if you could show me. You didn't throw it away. It's it's right in front of you. Thank you. Probably you are overwhelmed at this point, looking at so many verses. Uh, So that's why I've been debating that, whether I should give give you that page or not. Maybe it's too much, but uh, I decided that is not the case. I will try to be succinct and quick, But my prayer is, by looking at all these teaching from the book of John, that you will come to appreciate what Jesus is really saying tonight, that night, to his disciples. So I drew up all the mentioning of the Holy Spirit in the book of John. I skipped one, which I thought was really not relevant. But what you have in your hand is the entire teaching of Jesus on the topic of the Spirit, a witness thereunto from John. So let us try to do this by the grace of God. First text is John 1, 32-34. This is John the Baptist, his testimony. John testifies, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, And he remained upon him, that is Jesus. I, that's John, I did not recognize him, that is Christ. But he who sent me, that is God, to baptize in water, said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, 
This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I, John, myself have sinned and have testified that this is the Son of God. What can we learn from this text? It's different from the synoptics. In John's Gospel, when John testified, he, has, he had already baptized Jesus. But it's a bit different. Other Gospels, Holy Spirit descends and Father speaks. But here, what he is saying is, the God who sent me told me, when you see, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one. This is the Messiah that you have been waiting. Probably because at the time, there was no photo ID. How are you supposed, supposed to identify that is the Messiah? They are cousins, but I don't know. You know, John the Baptist was in the desert all his life. So, when you read this carefully, John's version of this spirit as a dove descending on Christ, function of the spirit is that he identifies. Spirit identifies who Jesus is is or was. Not only descending upon him and remaining upon him. The very first mention of the Spirit here in John's Gospel is that he identifies who Jesus is. You know, when my daughter, third daughter, went to school, Caris, he she used to ask around his classmates, are you Jesus person? Are you Jesus people? She does not know the word. She did not know the word Christian. But when I heard that, I thought it was a beautiful way to say who we are. Are you a Jesus person? Are, you, are we Jesus people? Are we Jesus people? How are we supposed to be recognized by the world? Right. Holy Spirit identified Christ in the beginning of John. Likewise, us, the church, we are recognized by the world by not only descending of the Spirit, but remaining of the Spirit in the world, becoming light unto the dark world around us. And there are many things that we could talk about, such as Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love being the fruit of the Spirit, and so on. So first thing that we learn in John is that the Holy Spirit identifies who Jesus is for us as well. Number two, second conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, that famous rabbi Nicodemus, the ruler, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again or born from above. The same word. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
In the third chapter of John, where John 3.16 happens, the conversation is about you must be born again or born from above in order for you to see first the kingdom of God. And he is perplexed and he, Jesus explains what that means. But you here notice what? Being born again and being born from above is the same thing as being born of the Spirit. Unless one is born of the Spirit, one cannot see the kingdom, one cannot enter into the kingdom. So second thing that we learn from John's gospel about the work of the Spirit. Holy Spirit has to do with your new birth. Without which, no one can see God enter into the kingdom of God. So, the Spirit is the agent here, as you see many times. Born of water, born of the Spirit. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not be amazed. You need to be born again. So, is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Over and over again, Jesus emphasizes, new birth comes from the Spirit applying the resurrection life to the sinners. It is essential that one is born of the Spirit. What is church? What is Jesus' people? Who are Jesus' people? Who are born of the Spirit? Not born of the blood or the will of man or, or any other society, human society, but of God. But when you narrow it down, who gives birth, new birth to for sinners? The agent is the Holy Spirit. Let's move on to next section. All these things, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in conversation with people. He didn't say, here's the lecture, Holy Spirit, and he stopped writing bullet points. But he's revealing who Holy Spirit will be or is as he's conversing with other people. Now, third section is the Samaritan woman, the sinner, sinful woman. And listen to this, verse 23, 4, chapter 4. But an hour is coming, and now is. It is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is, listen to this, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. A bit of explanation is needed. When verse 24 says God is spirit, is it saying God is the Holy Spirit? Is it about explaining the doctrine of Holy Spirit, how it relates to the Father? When you look up commentaries, I think people are saying the same thing. When it says God is spirit, this verse is not really saying God is the Holy Spirit. But the context was what? Where should we worship? Is it this mountain or that mountain? So God is spirit as opposed to human beings, the finite human beings, we are confined to one locality. We are confined to this place, this time, this afternoon. But when it says God is spirit, God is omnipresent. omnipresent. He's everywhere as opposed to finite human beings. That's what it means. But all the commentators will say the next verse. 
Those who worship Him, who is the Spirit, who is everywhere, must worship in what? In spirit and in truth. That spirit is not human truth, they say, but made possible by the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I've noticed the commentators, the theologians will say, God is spirit. It's not really about God is the Holy Spirit, though He is and three distinctions of the persons, but that's not the context. But those who worship Him will, should, must worship in spirit and truth. You don't want to say simply in spirit without body. So that in spirit has to do with something of the Holy Spirit. Putting that together. Now what we learn from this section is what? It's not so much about how much people, men, trying to worship God. But whether God accepts their worship or not. People could waste their time in vain trying to reach God, trying to worship God in different religions and even in Christian churches if one is not worshiping God in spirit and truth. So you see, what I'm trying to build up now is the essential character of the Holy Spirit. It's not simply receive the Holy Spirit power from above so that you could be a missionary or evangelist, though that is the case. So what we learn here is that true worship is possible in and through the Holy Spirit. Apart from whom, your worship is not accepted by God. Next one. The Feast of Booth, that is the tent making, John 7. This was the last day, the great day of feast. Jesus stood in the middle of the crowd in the temple and cried out and saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Because on that last day of Feast of Booth, there was a ceremony. High priests would go down to Siloam and bring the water to the temple through the water gate and pour the water while the trumpet sounds are being heard by the multitudes of people, signifying God provided water for their ancestors in the desert, also signifying for the last day of the Spirit pouring upon His people. But on that day, Jesus stood up and said, Whoever's thirsty, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And listen to this. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, Verse 39, but this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. What? That, that innermost being, the water, living water, will flow from our uh, inner selves. And this he spoke of the Spirit. What does that mean? That eternal Spirit welling up within us, giving us eternal life, and but he, this he spoke of the Spirit. Spirit is the source of your eternal, everlasting, ever-renewing life within you. How often we think about eternal life as the gift of God. You believe in Jesus and God gives you the eternal life. As if we receive some kind of a package, spiritual package, and we, we eat it or swallow it and we live forever. But what you learn from this is that our eternal life is the life of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that extra that God gives. It is coming out from the Spirit Himself who is life 
himself, source of life. God breathed, remember, last week. So eternal life, apart from Holy Spirit, there's no such thing. Next section. I know you are getting tired, but bear with me. Just a few more. John 13 through 17 is what we call the upper room discourse. This long chapter ending with his prayer is what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed. He's taking the, the Passover meal and he does all these things. And toward dawn next uh, day that he was arrested. So in that, John 13 through 17 is where Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit the most. Together. What is the context? I, I think I've given you 14.1. They're scared. He just announced that I'm leaving. And, and all his disciples are scared. What do you mean? Where are you going to go? And in that context, that night, he will talk about more than anything else. Holy Spirit. So verse 1 was, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now we go to chapter 14, verse 16 through 18. Listen carefully to all this teaching about the Holy Spirit. I will, in that context, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave you alone, right? That's the context. I will ask the Father, and He will give you here is that famous word, the paraclete, the word. He will give you another helper and all these translations that you could use whatever. Intercessor, counselor, comforter, advocate, friend, all in the legal context. He's the legal counsel. That, listen to this, that why? What's the purpose clause? That he may be with you forever. Who is? Holy Spirit. I'm going, but Holy Spirit will come. The helper, intercessor, advocate, he will be with you forever. I remember Jesus saying, I'll be with you till the end of the ages. So what Jesus is saying is, I will be with you through the Holy Spirit to all the way till the end of the ages. But what about him? Verse 17, characteristics of the Holy Spirit is what? That is the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But listen carefully to this. But you know him now. You now know him already. You know him because why? He abides with you. Present tense. Now he is with you and will be in you. You see already not yet playing out. So many questions about uh, John 20 is that when they heard that received the Holy Spirit, the assumption is, were they not Christians yet? But here he is, Jesus already saying, He abides with you already in John chapter 14. Holy Spirit is in them. But not fully yet. So He will be in you. He is with you, but He will be in you. The last verse, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you again. So here in this passage, we here that he is an helper. He will be with us forever. He is the spirit of truth because he communicates the truth. None other than Christ himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is already within the, Holy, uh, the disciples. Yet he will come again to be with you. Now verse chapter 14 verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, but the function of that Holy Spirit is to teach you all things and bring you to remembrance that all that I've spoken to you, I've said to you. What do you mean He will teach you all things? Well, Jesus is teaching. Jesus has been teaching His disciples for three years. But as you know, they couldn't grasp what Jesus was teaching until what Jesus is saying is, it will finally make sense to you when Holy Spirit comes to you. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So already in John's Gospel, you will hear the comments or commentaries already, something like John 2. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. What? He said, uh, it will be raised in three days concerning his body. So all these teachings of Jesus Christ, I mean, we could sympathize with the, the disciples. Who could grasp the reality or the magnitude of all these teachings of Jesus? They were probably just like you and me, nodding, oh yes, I understand. But it is only when the Spirit comes finally, and it is not simply intellectual sense, when all that we know in our head, when Holy Spirit brings it down to here, that that distance from here to here is long distance. But Spirit applies what is in our head and applies it to our hearts. What do we call that? Saving knowledge of Christ. Who does that? Holy Spirit. In our preaching, teaching, reading, meditating, praying, we must rely on the Spirit to do all of that, to do all that savingly. Next, next passage, John 15, 26, 27. Now, it's kind of the same thing over and over again. When the Helper comes, 26, 27, whom I will send you, did you hear? So far it was the Father who's going to send me my, on, on my request. But here he says, I will send to you from the Father. So it is the Father and the Son together sending the Spirit. By the way, as you know, this, this point split the church from the east and the west about 1,200 years ago. Big controversy on this. Filioque or filioque clause on this. But anyway, I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. What does He do? He will testify about me, that is, the, that is Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit's job is to testify about Jesus Christ, and listen verse 27, and you will testify also. Did you catch that? How does the Holy, he will testi- testify about me. How does the Holy Spirit testify? Do you hear Holy Spirit announcing something in the sky? How else the Holy Spirit, he will testify about Jesus Christ. How? Next verse gives us the clue. You will testify also. That's right. Holy Spirit testifies about Christ to the world through His church. But before you and I could go out there and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, it is the Holy Spirit who has to be within us. He is the one who will convict, 
empower, embolden us to proclaim the good name of Jesus Christ. Remember how the first missionaries were sent. It was the Holy Spirit directing the church, Antioch Church, remember. It is not human planning. It is not human event. Evangelism and missions, it has to be our lifestyle. It has to be us relying on the Spirit so that Spirit may testify about Christ through us. Verse, chapter 16, verses 7 through 8. But I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. That is Jesus speaking. Why? For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is raised from the dead, but not yet ascended. So previous verses say the Holy Spirit was not given because he was not glorified yet. It awaits his ascension. It awaits his return. But Jesus is saying, it is to your advantage that I go away. Physically, I go away so that I can send you the Spirit. So one commentator, D.A. Carson, says, Though we desire to be with living Christ, we want to see Jesus, according to him, that same Jesus insists, it is better to be alive now after the coming of the Spirit. We may desire to see Jesus, show me, show me yourself. But according to Jesus, it is for our advantage that he goes away, that he sends the Spirit in his place. Chapter 16, almost there, I think, right? Almost there. <laughs> Chapter 16, verses 12 through 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. We understand? Next verse, the final one. Chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus predicts the job of the Holy Spirit is what? He, the Holy Spirit, He will glorify me. So, we are done. I, I, we are done, right? I don't know if that's the last verse that I've given you. That's the last one? Okay. On the last verse, that's why many, many uh, theologians will say, the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Holy Trinity because he shies away from the spotlight. Why? Because his job is always about glorifying the Son, not himself, something that we can learn. It's not about Holy Spirit. And he glorifies Christ. Now, let me summarize because probably we have forgotten what we have just seen. But let me put this together. In John's Gospel, disciples have seen the Spirit descending on their Lord Jesus Christ already. They have seen and heard so many times throughout His earthly ministry that Jesus has spoken on the Holy Spirit. Especially the night before He was arrested about the Holy Spirit. Putting these things together. The Holy Spirit identifies who Jesus is and who the people of God is. Holy Spirit gives birth, the new birth, to sinners. 
Apart from that being born again and from above, no one can enter into the kingdom of God. True worship is only possible through the Spirit. When you worship God in spirit and in truth. Eternal life is the very life of the Holy Spirit. He is the helper, intercessor, counselor, comforter, advocate, friend, and Holy Spirit abides with you forever. And Jesus Christ in him. Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He will abide with you, will be in you. And Jesus Christ, I will come to you. What is implied is, I will come to you in my spirit. Because Holy Spirit is spirit of Jesus Christ as well. Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you savingly. He will testify about me so that you could testify about me as well. It is to my advantage that he goes away so that Holy Spirit could reside in me. And he will guide into all truth and he will glorify Christ. On the night when Jesus said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. In John's Gospel, these things will come to their minds, not that night, but in coming weeks and months, Acts 2 and beyond, All these things will make sense and they will remember all these things. That's why it is written down for us. And can you imagine a life without the Spirit? I cannot. You cannot. After hearing all of these, if I was thinking, if we are grounded in John's teaching of the Holy Spirit, no one should degenerate into those human-centered, pejorative way of dealing with the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed something about Jesus' teaching about the Holy Spirit in John? How God-centered He is? How Christ-centered Holy Spirit is? And I couldn't detect anything of human side yet. It is first and foremost, it is God doing something for sinful humanity, weak disciples. It is God who is merciful, who in His all-infinite wisdom and in His might, who is sending the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine Jesus Christ speaking some other things than what He just said tonight, that night? Receive the Holy Spirit. It contains entire universe in that sentence. Our lives, A to Z, from creation to consummation, the entire human created order is contained when Jesus spoke to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. It is an imperative. As I always do, I look up that word, that is an easy Greek word. If I know it's easy, okay? So, I know that word. And that word should translate into take, not receive. So, I looked it up. The definition says in this way, two, two definitions on this word. More or less active sense, take, 
take hold of, grasp. Two, in a more or less passive sense, receive, get, obtain. No one wanted to translate that. When Jesus said, la bete, that is, in command, take hold of the Holy Spirit. Probably because they thought that is too human-centered. But I think there is a sense in which Jesus is saying, receive. There's nothing you could do about that. But at the same time, in a more active sense, it says more or less, more or less. I've never encountered such definition in, in, in dictionary. More or less active, more or less passive. I always take them both, right? It's a good deal to take both. Now let me conclude. We always say, Jesus' death and resurrection is the climax of the redemptive history. After this, I say it is not. I dare say it is not. Of course it is, in a sense that, like I said, you stand upon the rock. You accomplished this. But if he just was raised, there's no benefit. It was his breathing It was his command to receive the Holy Spirit. That is the next stage of climax. So let us not settle down with simply with death and resurrection. Of course it is the climax. Apart from which we cannot talk about any of human salvation. But aren't you glad that Jesus has spoken, receive the Holy Spirit? What's the next stage? X2. Because that fulfills Joel's prophecy. That is the last day. God poured out His Spirit on all flesh. That's next climax. What's next climax? We await Christ's return. That's next climax. Next climax will be the new heavens and new earth coming down. So let us not simply say Jesus' death and resurrection is the climax. No. It's not the end. It's to be continued. I couldn't really, toward the end of this week, I couldn't wrap my mind around what I have seen today. So I will just borrow Sinclair Ferguson's last chapter on his book, The Holy Spirit. I say this name not because everybody knows the name, but for the people, those of you who know. He taught at Westminster as a you know, well-known Reformed figure. And the last chapter in his book is titled The Cosmic Spirit. Listen to this. The mark we were created to reach but have missed was glory. We fell short of glory of God. We have sinned and failed to attain that destiny, glory of God. Against this background, the task of the Spirit may be stated simply to bring us to glory, to create glory within us, and to glorify us together with Christ. The Spirit is given to glorify us, not just to add glory as a crown to what we have, what we are, but actually to transform the very constitution of our being so that we become glorious. Did you just hear what what, what he was trying to explain? I couldn't, I couldn't, Pinpoint something was missing toward the end of this week. I couldn't express it. I knew what I've seen from John's gospel is Holy Spirit is big. 
when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, it is not simply about receiving and speaking in tongues or, or do mighty things, heal people or something like that. But it was, it was a big Holy Spirit. That I knew. But you know what was missing? A to Z, all I uh, subsumed under the Holy Spirit. But what was missing in me was that the Holy Spirit is glorifying you and me. Remember justification, sanctification, and what comes next? Glorification. What do we say about glorification? When you die, you are glorified. Right? Usually we say we sanctify our sanctification all along. We struggle during these daily lives until we meet Christ or Christ comes back again. Then we will be caught up in the air and we will be glorified. But when Holy Spirit is within you, as Holy Spirit unites us to the risen Christ, because Christ is already glorified, that glorification of you and me, it has begun already here and now. That was what was missing. What was the point of the entire cosmos being glorified? If I'm left alone here, boss is left. But God, in His grace, included you and me in that glorification. You don't have to wait until Christ's return. But as you take hold of the Holy Spirit, as He sent it to you, Him sent Him to you, and He's already within us. Those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, isn't this? Big news. It's not simply good news. It's a big news. Holy Spirit, the cosmic spirit has glorified us already, you and me. Not yet, fully, but already. Think about the implications of it. Our church life, missions, teaching, preaching, praying, fellowship, Jesus people, Apart from the Holy Spirit, nothing will make sense. Question is, why wouldn't someone receive the Holy Spirit? This is the great news that Jesus is speaking, preaching. Jesus said, on that night of his resurrection, receive the Holy Spirit. And he who has promised this will give himself to you through his spirit. Amen? Let's pray.